0: Well, um, as uh, as was mentioned this morning, we we have a series or our theme throughout this year is called Lighten Up and um, this uh, idea of lighting up applies to all areas of our life. Physically, we're encouraging one another to look at how we can, uh, for those of us who need to lose weight, we lose some weight. Um, For those of us who uh, take life really, really seriously, we're saying, come on, get a life, lighten up. And then also, uh, uh, Jesus said, "Let your light shine before, before, before people." and so we're encouraging us uh, one another to live lives that um, reflect something of the, the wonder and the beauty of God to those who are around about us. But also one of the things that we need to lighten up from um, is from religiosity. And the book of Galatians is one of those uh, books in the Bible that speaks uh, very much into uh, this thing of of religion and how it is a a burden and it's something that we need to release ourselves from. Um, Can I encourage you, if you were not here last Sunday morning when we started off the Galatians series can I encourage you um, to uh, get a copy of the CD, the DVD, or listen to it on podcast? I had four people come up to me last Sunday, and I'm not, I'm not uh, boasting, but four people came up to me last week and said that was the best sermon they'd ever heard. Uh, it was just um, very life-giving and helpful for people to understand what law is and the life that God has called us into, which is a life of um, of, uh, of liberty and of, uh, of freedom so that we can live the life that God has called us to live. And so this is um, week two of our look at, um, at uh, Galatians. When um, we first moved to Melbourne from Sydney, we arrived in the middle of footy season. So we're from New South Wales. And we were inducted to uh, Melbourne in the middle of footy season. And it didn't take very long for us to figure out that Melburnians are obsessed with AFL. Now, I grew up in the UK and uh, we love our football, our soccer um, over there. But nothing, no one is obsessive about sport quite like um, Melburnians. And I would go to work on a, on a Monday morning and all people talked about was, um, was their footy team and the games on the weekend and, and the results. And uh, my co-workers would have had pictures on, on their workstations. There were hawks and cats. <laughs> <laughs> and eagles and bears and magpies and kangaroos, and I thought I was working in a zoo. There were that many animals all over the place. Talk about obsessive. Melbourneites are obsessed by their AFL. One of the things that we pick up on as we uh, read through um, Paul's letter to uh, Galatians, but not just, um, not just the book of Galatians, but also his other writings, um, we see that Paul also has a great obsession. And the thing that he is passionate about, that which has captivated him, both his head and his heart, is something called the gospel. And the big theme of, um, of Galatians is the gospel. And after a very brief introduction to this letter, um, Paul writes these words. He says, I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. That is a fake gospel that is simply not true. Say there was fake news back then. There is only one gospel, the gospel of the Messiah. Anyone who comes to you with a different message than the grace gospel that you have received will have the curse of God come upon them. For even if we or an angel appeared before you to, proclaim, to give you a different gospel than what we have already proclaimed God's curse will be upon them. He's pretty kind of fired up here, isn't he? He says, I will make it clear, just in case you haven't realized, that anyone, no matter who they are, that brings you a different gospel than the grace gospel that you have received, let them be condemned and cursed. (laughs) Beloved ones, let me say emphatically that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation, for it was given to me directly by the unveiling of Jesus, the Anointed One. Then he goes on in chapter 2. I spoke privately with those who um, were viewed as senior leaders of the church. I wanted to make certain that my labor and ministry for the Messiah had not been based on a false understanding of the gospel. I met with them privately and confidentially because false brothers had been secretly smuggled into the church meetings. Their agenda was to bring us back into the legalistic bondage of religion. But you must know that we did not submit to their religious shackles, not even for a moment, so that we might keep the gospel of grace unadulterated for you. I was entrusted with taking the gospel to the non-Jewish people, just as Peter was entrusted with taking it to The Jews, and so this is uh, this is um, Paul's great obsession. This is his passion, and so what is this gospel that he that he is being captivated by? Why is he so obsessed by it? Well, I'm pleased you asked, because um, the word gospel was not actually originally a Christian Christian term. It uh, is a Greek word um, called. Let me pronounce see if I can get this right. And some of you Greek scholars might be able to uh, correct me. Ouangelion. Is that right? Ouangelion. And it's a composite word. It's two Greek words. U, meaning good. And angelion, um, meaning message or story or news. And so you bring these two words together. And the gospel is um, the good message. It's the good story. It's the good News, and this uh, phrase, this term, evangelion, was used um, to announce that a new Caesar, the supreme lord of the empire, had taken his seat upon the throne to bring what was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, to the world. And they would declare, evangelion, gospel, good news, Caesar is on the throne. Um, peace for the world. Now this word was also a military term. Um, When the Roman Imperial Army went out to fight a war and they had completely defeated the enemy, they would send a runner, a messenger called an evangelist, who would run all the way from the battlefield back into the city and they'd run through the streets of the city and they would cry out at the top of their voices, euangelion, U Angelion, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the good news, the good news, the good news. And this is what they would say. The battle or the victory has been won. Total, complete victory is ours. And so Christians in the first century living under Roman rule would have been very familiar with this term gospel. In a Christian context, they understood that the gospel is a declaration that the Supreme Lord, Jesus Christ, has ascended uh, to his throne to bring the peace of heaven to the world. And that through his death and through his resurrection... The war had been won. Jesus has secured complete victory. The battle is over. God's triumph is total. Now, you can begin to see why Paul was a little bit obsessed with the gospel. Because a good and godly reign has come to the earth. And it's good news that every human need has been met in and through Jesus Christ. He has won the battle over everything that has held humanity captive. And Christ has conquered the consequence of every sin. Paul was excited about this. I'm a little bit excited about it. Not quite sure about the rest of us. But anyway, we'll, we'll get there. I've still got another uh, hour or so to go. I spoke for two hours last night and uh, thanks, mate. We'll keep going. You see, we've all been marred and we've all been marked by sins that have been perpetrated against us, haven't we? We've been perhaps raised, some of us have been raised in unhealthy homes and we've had unhelpful role models that have affected the way that we think and the way that we live. Or we've been involved in damaging relationships. Perhaps we've been been bullied and that's marred us and marked us. Um, Or we've experienced some form of pain and loss in our lives that has wounded us deeply. So there are sins that have been committed against us. But then, you know, we can't blame everybody else for our problems, can we? We'd like to. Some of us do. But um, once we've made... So you know, sometimes we've made decisions, and we've said, and we have done things that we're responsible for. That we actually regret, that we'd ever said, and we'd ever done. And these these things, um, you know, they can leave us feeling um, guilty, and ashamed, and feeling disappointed with ourselves. And we can end up questioning and, and asking ourselves, is there any hope for someone? like me i was certainly asking that question as a as an 18 year old is there any hope for someone like can my life possibly be better than what it is and paul expresses this kind of exasperation with himself in romans chapter 7 verse 24 he said oh wretched person that i am who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, this, is, this body of death is, is probably one of the, the worst things imaginable. Um, in ancient times, the way that the, the, the Roman Empire dealt with a murderer was to strap the victim of their crime to their body. So the corpse, which is called the body of death, would be tied to the back of the murderer. And the death of the murderer's victim would eat it. Are you starting to feel kind of icky? The death of the murdered victim would eat its way. That corruption would eat its way into the murderer's body. Not very pleasant, is it? And this was the way in which the Roman Empire dealt out their punishment Um, for murderers, that the death of the victim would work its way into the body of the perpetrator of the crime. And Paul recognised that there were forces at work in his life that were eating away at him, and there was nothing that he could do to prevent or arrest the decay that had come upon him. And Paul asks the question, who can set me free from this stuff that I am carrying around? And we find the answer. He gives us the answer in the next verse. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. Or another version that says, I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has prof- finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And this is why Paul was so obsessed with the gospel. It provided a way out for him, but it also provided a way in for him. It brought him into complete and total victory over the things that had lessened and limited his life. Just as the gospel takes us out of Whatever it is that has limited us and stops us from being the people that God has called us to be, and it takes us into a new life. Now, it's true that not all of us are as bad as Paul. Paul, Paul, despite his religiosity, was kind of a mean dude. He went around killing people like us, he was a bit of a terrorist. And not all of us kind of fit into that category. Some of us are actually good people, aren't we? Yeah. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're one of the good people he's talking about. <laughs> and so and so, to you good people, I, I I want to quote to you David Mackay. The purpose, so the, the gospel is not just for bad people like me. I put my hand up, I was a bad person. Okay, I, I own it, yeah. Yeah, all, all us Geordies, we were all bad people. It's just part of, parcel of who we are. Not all of us are in that category. It? David McCoy says the purpose of the gospel is to make bad people good. Yay! And then good people better. Yay! And to change human nature. See, the gospel is the good news that through his death and resurrection, Jesus forgives our wrongdoing. He makes us right with God, draws a line in the sand and puts an end to our past. God gives us a new start, and God gives us a new new nature, and he sets about the process of repairing and restoring our lives by undoing all of the damage that's been perpetrated against us, or all of the damage that we've inflicted upon ourselves. That that is darn good news. And so in the book of Romans, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. In the, in the book of Romans, which is like an extended version of Galatians, it's, it's kind of like Galatians on steroids. And um, in, 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 um, in Romans chapter 1, he says, For I'm not ashamed of this good news, this evangelion, this... This gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let me unpack Paul's definition here of the gospel. Number one, he says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. He's saying, this gospel is about Christ. It's a God-centered story. The gospel is for us, but it doesn't originate with us. It's source. The gospel's source is God. It's divine. And this gospel is so good, no human being could have made this up. It, took, it would have to take God to come up with this idea of the gospel. It's so darn good. That's why it could never originate with us. We could never think up the gospel. Then he says it's the power of, a, of God at work saving everyone. The gospel is the power of God. And it's a power that saves. Now what's that word save? Sozo. sozo. And what's sozo? Sozo is Healing. It's it's rescuing. It's setting free. It's delivering. It's making whole. The gospel has inherent power. Has power inherent within it, within it, to set us free, to make us whole, to heal us, to to um, deliver us. And who is this powerful gospel message for? It's for everyone. Can you start to see why Paul is obsessed with this gospel? It excludes no one. It excludes no one. Collingwood fans, you're in. You're in. You're in. I know what's going to happen to me after the service. Those Collingwood fans will gang up. I'd beat the snot out of you when I walk out of this room. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a gospel that saves everyone who believes. What do we, what do we need to do to, nec- to connect with this rescuing, healing, freeing Delivering power that makes us whole. What do we have to do? Just believe. Trust. Have faith. Accept that it's true for you. It's for you. It's for everyone. And the moment you do, your faith links you to Jesus Christ. What happened to him happened to you. His experience becomes your experience. His status becomes your status. Jesus has done it all for you and faith is us stepping into that union together with him. And this great exchange takes place. Your sins are placed on Jesus and his sins are. Sorry? Our sins are placed on Jesus and his righteousness is placed on us. That's better, isn't it? (laughs) He is treated as if everything you'd done, he'd done. And at the same moment, we are treated as if everything he'd done, we'd done. That's pretty awesome. All the accolades, all the glory that he deserves are shared with us. You know, when you've got the Anzac March coming up soon and we'll see little kids walking in the Anzac March and they'll have their father's or their grandfather's medals to themselves and they'll march proudly through the streets showing off their medals they've never picked up a gun in their life they've never been to battle but they're wearing the medals of their father or their grandfather and that's what we do we walk along with the accolades of Jesus the righteousness of Jesus it's ours we haven't done anything we just bought into this thing we just went, believed it bought into it that's flipping up that's such good news oh. then this good news tells us how to, how God makes us right in his sight and this is the essence of the gospel is God gives us the gift of righteousness God he saved me all right We have peace with God. We don't have the peace of Rome. We have the peace of God. You are justified. One of those nice big Bible words that simply means you stand before God just as if you'd never sinned. How good is that? And then finally, Paul says, the gospel is from first to last. What does that mean? The gospel is from first to last. last, It means two things. Number one, from the start of our journey with God all the way through until the very end, we stay in right standing with God by the gift of righteousness that God has so lavishly and freely given us. From first to last, I'm as righteous now as I will be on that final day when I breathe my last breath and I go and stand in the very presence of God I won't be any more righteous then as I am right now. Let me just say that for this side of the room. <laughs> You'll, you won't be any more righteous then as you are right now. Because the righteousness of God has been given to you as a gift. And it's, it's, it's yours from first to last. But the other thing is... Um, First to last means the gospel is for the whole of life. It covers us from beginning to end. It's is—it's the secret of the Christian life. It's the key to the Christian life. You see, we tend to think of the gospel as being a message for non-Christians, and it is. Um, There was a man by the name of W.E. Sangster, the great Methodist minister, and he went to visit a dying woman, And he asked her if she was ready to meet with God. And if so, what would she say when she met her maker? And in response, she held up her two worn out hands and said, I'm a widow. I've brought up five children. So I have no time for church or the Bible or anything religious. But I've done my best for my children. And when I see God, I will just hold up these hands. And he will look at them. And he will understand sounds quite reasonable. But Dr. Sangster replied, you are too late, my dear. You are too late. What do you mean, she said. Well, he explained, there's someone who has got in front of you and he is holding up his hands in front of God. And God has eyes for no other. But what do you mean, she asked again. And he told her, don't Put your trust in your hands. Put your trust in his hands. The good news of the gospel begins for someone who is not yet a Christian by pointing out that salvation is not dependent upon your hard work or your self-effort. You don't have to do anything other than to receive it and say thank you. None of the work of your hands will get you through there's nothing left else to do but that when we believe that that's just the beginning of the gospel that's first but it doesn't end there so how does this gospel apply to those of us who have already placed our trust and our lives into the nail scarred hands of Jesus how do we apply the gospel to our lives as Christians from the beginning to the end Firstly, what we do is we apply the gospel by following God's order. Last week, we talked about the Judaizers, a movement in the early church that embraced a form of Christianity which insisted on circumcision as a badge of membership, of belonging to God, and as a sign that you were serious about keeping the rules. And whilst the Judaizers believed in Jesus, they also taught a gospel that demanded rule-keeping as a means of righteousness. And their virgin version of the gospel, which I'm still, I'm still in last night's mode, virgin yeah. rather than version, um, their version of the gospel, which Paul says was a false gospel, followed a certain order. And that order was, believe in Jesus. Yeah. Obey the rules. Then you'll be saved. But Paul points out that if you are a Christian and trust in your ability to keep the rules to be right with God, then you better keep the whole lot. In Galatians 3.12, he says, Keeping the law does not require faith, but self-effort. For the law teaches, if you practice the principles of law, you must follow them all. Now imagine if I drove through a red light, which I would never, ever do. Uh, But if I did drive through a red light and I was stopped by a police officer, And I said to them, "But officer, you know I've I've been driving around all year, and I have not um, uh, 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 broken the 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 law by um, going through other red lights." That officer would reply, "Well, I don't care if you stopped at every other red light. You didn't stop at this one. You've broken the law. It's broken." And then Paul points out, even those who say they keep the, the rules don't. Oh. Even those who say they keep the rules don't. They're fibbers. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Because <laughs> he says in Galatians six thirteen, not even those who are circumcised, not even these Judaizers, keep every detail of the law, of the written law. You might have heard of during the week of a uh, of Giovanna Mendoza, who heard of poor Giovanna? she 's a twenty eight year old um, blogger with three million followers on on YouTube and instagram and for a number of years. This uh, young lady, Yovana, has been advocating um, a, a really stringent form of veganism and, um, and um, having 28-day water fasts as the as way to kind of be really, really healthy and to, to live well. However, Yovana, whilst preaching this gospel of veganism and, and of extreme fasting, um, She didn't tell anybody that she'd dropped the vegan diet and the extreme fasting regimes um, because it wasn't working for her. Poor thing. It was making her sick. But she kept on preaching her gospel until she was in a restaurant and she was spotted by somebody and videoed eating fish. And so as a result of that, poor, this poor girl I feel sorry for her. As, as a result of this, you know, she's being publicly shamed and called a hypocrite because she was setting a standard for others that she herself could not keep. And Yo, Yo, Yovana reminds me of the Judaizers of Paul's day and the Judaizers of today who say, believe in Jesus plus whatever else you want to add on there. Read your Bible, pray, give, attend church. And when you do that, you will be saved. And in Galatians, what Paul points out, that Christians are to apply the gospel by getting the order right. We believe in Jesus. We understand that because of that belief in Jesus, we are saved. We are righteous. We're never going to be any more righteous than we are. And then we start to obey the rules. And so Paul in Galatians is addressing two Gospels. Both contain the same elements. Belief, obedience and salvation. But with three very different orders, motivations and effects. And Paul says the Gospel helps us get the order right. Secondly, As Christians, we apply the gospel by following the lines of truth. In Galatians 2.14, he says, I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. You see, the gospel gives us very clear lines to follow. And in its context, this uh, scripture here, and I've got virgins on my mind. In its context, in in Galatians 2.14, Paul is actually addressing um, Peter's slide into racial superiority. God had given Peter a vision, and you can read about that in Acts chapter ten and Acts chapter eleven. And in that vision, God revealed to him that all people were equal. God said to Peter, "Peter, you can associate with anybody you want because no one is unclean and no food is unclean." Perhaps Giovanna should have heard that message about the food. And for a while, Peter follows that line, that the true line of the gospel. And he's enjoying eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles. But then a bit of pressure comes and he moves away from the line. And what Paul does, Paul calls Peter to get himself back into alignment with the gospel. And so what the gospel is, is for Christians, it means for all of life. It sends out lines For us that we are to follow, it sends a line uh, for us to follow. In that sense, that our sins are forgiven, so we ought not to walk in guilt and shame. If you're carrying guilt and shame this morning, you're not walking in line with the gospel. Get in line with the gospel. Does that make sense? Okay. If you think because you're a Collingwood supporter that you're better than Carlton supporters and you're, you've got this air of superiority about you, get in line. We're all, this, we're all equal here. Um, the truth of the gospel sends out a line for us to follow by pointing out that we ought to forgive others as we have been forgiven. We're to show kindness and mercy. The gospel um, sends out a line for us to follow by pointing out that we ought to serve others And be generous with our resources. The gospel sends out a line for every area of life from first to last. And what we do is we align ourselves with the truth of that message. Let me finish by saying um, some words from John Calvin and then Martin Luther. Calvin says the gospel is not a doctrine of words but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. Paul was obsessed with this gospel, it possessed his soul and penetrated the inner recesses of his heart because it, he understood it was the power of God that brought salvation, made him right with God and provided us with an order by which to interpret the truth of the gospel and clear lines to follow. And Martin Luther and his commentary on the Galatians he writes, The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> We have some Lutherans here today. (laughs) Can I just say, forgive me, uh, if like Paul, I'm a bit obsessed by and a bit passionate about the gospel. Forgive me if I'm a little bit like Luther. And all I do is try to beat this thing into your heads. And into your hearts. But when it gets in there. It will ch- change your life for good. Amen.